In the coming days, the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is expected to perform a ritual that, if his Labour opponent Keir Starmer has his way, could become a thing of the past. This week, around 20 people are expected to be confirmed as lifetime peers of the House of Lords, joining the 830 MPs who already sit in Westminster's upper house. Now, they were gifted the role by the former Conservative Prime Minister Boris Johnson on his resignation. Now the British Labor Party is being urged to abolish the House of Lords entirely if it wins the next election and replace it with a wholly elected and much smaller body. Now, if that happens, our next guest might just be out of a job. Helen Little, the Baroness of Cotedyke, is a Labor member of the House of Lords, and she's also a former High Commissioner to Australia, and very popular one at that. Welcome to Saturday Extra. Good to be with you, Geraldine. Um, Helen Little, this would be a massive shift for Westminster, really, to abolish Lords and the thousand-odd years of history that comes with it. Is Labor genuinely considering it? Well, yes, we've actually had it as part of our policy for many, many years. The last attempt we made was in 1999, and it's not easy. It's not an easy job to get rid of the House of Lords. At that time, we were trying to get rid of a thousand hereditary peers, and we ended up having to compromise, and we still have 90 hereditaries left, but they vote from their own ranks uh, on who gets to stay. But it's something that's really, really firmly embedded uh, within the Labour Party, and I only came into the House of Lords in, in a way that I could commit to reforming it. Having said that, you were talking about the more than 800 people. Not everybody attends, because when you become a peer, you're a peer for life. And as a consequence, we have quite a few people who are pretty elderly. So it's about just short of 400 who 400. actually uh, attend. And they do some good things. You know, scrutiny is what they're good at. But it is, uh, it, it's an anachronism. It's time for it to go. It's been time for it to go for 50 years. Yes, and I'm going to come to some of those aspects of what it does do. I mean, this uh, recommendation was made by the former Labor Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, in his Commission on the UK's Future. I think the, the tagline was to bridge the gap between Britain as we are and Britain, the, the Britain we can become. So uh, did the Labor leader, Keir Starmer, brief you and other Labor peers, I wonder, on this plan, given that you, you would be redundant if it goes ahead? I mean, you sound as if you're sort of uh, sanguine about that. But what did what did your other peers make of it? Well, they're quite keen on it, actually. Most people have come into the Lords committed to reforming. And uh, we're in a position now where Labour does not have a majority in the Lords. In the past, they always tried to make sure that, that uh, the Lords wouldn't just blindly follow the Commons. But at the moment, it is like that. And it's it's challenging and even with a majority of just short of 190, as we had in the, the 1990s, it is hard to turn it round. One thing I should say in, in defence of my colleagues is it's not a salaried house. We don't get paid wages for coming to, to the House of Lords. We get a, a daily allowance that we can claim that's about 330 British pounds. I don't know what that is in, in Aussie dollars. It'll be about but, 500 uh, yeah, be around about 500. But uh, people tend to do it 
quite far advanced in their careers. So, you know, they've, they've achieved everything they wanted to do. And now this is an opportunity to do something that takes what they're engaged in to different levels. So there is some good in it as well. And we don't want to lose that scrutiny. But it's absolutely absurd that I go around being called the Right Honourable, the Baroness, when I'm a bus driver's daughter. <laughs> well, I do note that most amendments to legislation coming from the Commons are made in the Lords. So I was quite surprised to read that, actually. Well, a lot of the really detailed scrutiny is in the Lords, but there are restrictions in what we can do because we are not elected. And that's something with reform uh, we would have to look at very, very carefully. If um, something has been in a party's manifesto, we would send amendments back three times to the House of Commons. And if after the third time the House of Commons doesn't back down, we would back down because we are not directly elected. And as a consequence, it does create a little bit of, of friction uh, between the two. If the measure has not been in a, a manifesto, then, well, anything can happen. But it, it is the detailed scrutiny. Let me, you're talking about amendments. I used to be the energy minister, and my background is in economics. And I was taking through a bill called the Utilities Bill, and we and we thought we'd done a pretty good job. And it's a courtesy that the minister in the Commons will come and stand uh, in the Lords when they start the debate on the bill, because it then has to go into the Lords. And within 10 minutes, I knew I'd screwed up because I didn't have an, an engineering background. None of my officials had an engineering background. And the first man to speak had been CEO of one of the major power companies. And he very quickly explained how what we were proposing wouldn't actually work without a change in the engineering. And I ended up putting in, some, somebody said it was hundreds of amendments, but I, don't, I think that's a bit extreme. But I had to put down a lot of amendments to correct what we had got wrong factually. So we don't want to lose that bit of it, but it's getting to, get to, to have that kind of scrutiny with uh, really dedicated people without having been elected. We need to try and sort that out. Well, in fact, amongst the many concerns raised this week was the idea that a reformed Lords would be reduced to a mere House of Review, even though you're saying that there's some real merit there, and the, and the process would be politicised. I think that was one of the key things with campaigning and so forth, if it became elected, and that that's the very thing that you, shouldn't happen. What do you make of that argument? I think we need to think that one through and we need to work out how we do that because there is one element in the House of Lords that is actually pretty crucial. It's the group that is called the crossbenchers. And, you know, if you want to find a Nobel Prize winner, you probably find it among them. And they are people who of real distinction but they're not political. They're not aligned in any way. These are not the kind of people who would stand for election. And I, I, we need to try to find a way that we can still 
um, involve them. There's also an, a lot of extremely disabled people who are campaigners on disability rights. And we've got Tani Gray-Thompson, the Paralympian. How do we get people at that still to become engaged? And we need to work through that because they, they make a phenomenal contribution and we don't want to lose that. Is there a middle road that would be more palatable to voters and to MPs? Because there are competing plans, aren't there? Yes, there are competing plans. And I think we will have to go through a number of iterations before we come to end game. Uh, partly because you can only achieve constitutional change in Britain with consensus. So we need to work towards some kind of uh, consensus. And that is not going to be easy. You know, as I said last time, we had a majority of 190 out of 650 members and we still had to compromise to to limit the hereditaries and also to make to cease the, the, the House of Lords being the, uh, the most senior court in the land with the establishment of the Supreme Court and the, the separation of powers. So it's not easy. But we're going to get there because there is real commitment and drive behind it. Well, um, in fact, it's certainly not easy. And one of the arguments is that over history, if you if you look at the efforts that have gone in, um, a change is achieved in small areas, but not in big areas. So, I mean, people have got to put an enormous amount of political capital in if they're going to make the sort of reforms that that you're talking about. Yes, and that's, that also looks to the wider picture of Gordon Brown's paper, which is about trying to decentralise the very centralised United Kingdom and putting local uh, power into place where people can take decisions locally to inspire growth quite apart from anything else. We are the most centralised country in Europe, so that needs to change and that's not going to be easy to change. But we, we want to see more elected mayors. Uh, we want to see more powers given to the Scottish Parliament and the, the Welsh and the Northern Irish to bring politics closer to the people. After everything we've been through this year, with our three prime ministers, complete upheaval, lots of scandals. People are getting fed up with the political structures and we now have to say, right, here's a way forward, a way where we can put these things right. Mm. There were a few other interesting suggestions in the Gordon Brown plan, including that the Scottish Parliament could have some power over foreign affairs and could sign up to agreements with Europe. Would that quieten the Scottish nationalist movement, speaking as you are with your lovely accent? <laughs> well, I think that would be a, quite a difficult one uh, with the Scottish nationalists. They have an image of, of um, Scotland of, you know, 400 years ago that is completely independent. But the vast majority of people don't want that. They want, because we have a, a, a different a political system. We also have a different legal system. Uh, our law in Scotland is based in Roman law, whereas in England it's Anglo-Saxon. And a lot of the structures that we have in Scotland were replicated by the European Union. And a lot of people uh, really res resent the very fact that we had to come out of the European Union because of a, an all-UK vote. So if we could be part of the European Commission on Human Rights of Erasmus, which is the, the very sophisticated uh, scholarship system for universities, that would be a big, big boon to Scotland and people would really appreciate that whilst remaining part of the United Kingdom. 
because there's more that unites us than divides us. Okay, we'll watch with a great deal of interest. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Geraldine. Helen Little, the Baroness of Cote d'Ike, a Labor member of the House of Lords and a former High Commissioner to Australia. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.